Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rash's World. Today, we have a special guest, Dr. Christine Gibson. And uh, what's up, Doc? <laughs> you know, you're the first person to ask that, but I, I really love it. Um, what's up? Gosh, I'm trying to finish my doctorate. Um, so I had a meeting with my supervisor in London. Um, so it's kind of ruined my summer. <laughs> um, but that's been fun. So yeah, I'm going to be a doctor doctor in another couple months, hopefully. Oh, okay. That's exciting. And so how would you briefly describe yourself here to, to our audience? I'm going to talk about your book, but um, what would you say about yourself? Well, what my doctorate is on is transdisciplinary studies. I, I feel like I'm I'm a doctor, but I don't really fit into a box very well. So when people ask me what I do now, I say, oh, I do trauma therapy, but I also do lots of other things. I do lots of international work. I do um, social innovation. So kind of looking at systems change. And that was what I was trying to figure out is who am I and what am I doing in the world? And so the reason I was doing this is so I could try to figure out, well, what's next? If I'm mid-career, what am I hoping to do and what am I hoping to contribute? I love that. That's that's my issue too. And people ask me because I, I don't fit in any box. And then it's like, what do you do? And uh, yeah, keep reinventing yourself. That's uh, that's that's awesome. Um, when I talk about your book here, uh, it sounds very fascinating. So the modern trauma toolkit, uh, nurture your post-traumatic growth uh, with personalized solutions. So just, just reading the title, I mean, two things I really like. It's a toolkit because that shows me we have options. You're not imposing any views on us. There is no agenda. It's a toolkit. I can choose to, uh, uh, to use the tools or not, whichever work for me. And the second thing is personalized solutions. And that really like triggers the word holistic, which I love too, uh, where you find something that again adapts to your needs. So what would you say about your book? Well, it's funny. I when I proposed the book, I I gave all of the publishing companies an outline of what I wanted to write about, mm -hmm. and the end version of the book was exactly the outline. Like I I really had this book in my head for a long time. It took me three months to write the first draft. It just poured out of me. But oh, cool. it was really the book that I wanted to be able to give my patients when they said, "Hey, what's happening in my brain?" And uh -huh. so it's an explanation about what's happening in the brain very much personalized solutions so it's not one size fits all in terms of what's going to work and because trauma is something that is often exposed from external forces onto the body i didn't want to make it seem like well this is your problem and you alone are accountable so a lot of the book has to do with what solutions can you look into at the community level or the policy level where trauma is kind of happening so I had a really clear idea about what I wanted to do with this book. And um, when Gabor Mate said, this is a primer on trauma, I'm like, that's the word. I wanted to write a primer that anyone could read and understand. And I think we're just starting to recognize how many of us have faced trauma, yeah. you know, coming out of the acute pandemic and with what's going on in climate. Like there's just these collective traumas that are becoming more talked about. Um, even as a doctor, like nobody talks about how traumatic this job is. It's, it's awful. It's so traumatic. Um, many people yeah. are in traumatic jobs. Um, yeah. and we just don't see it that way. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of this new dialogue where people are starting to recognize it and talk about it and be like, okay, now what do we do? And that was what I wanted to help at least catalyze. I mean, I, I don't have all the answers either. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it, being human is, is traumatic. I mean, the, the act of birth is traumatic. I, I love Otto Rank because he talks about those two things. It's like it's our birth that we come to the world and we're in shock. And that that shock remains with us for the rest of our lives until we die. And that's another trauma that is waiting for all of us and we have to accept. But in between, there's also a lot of different traumas and it could be ranged from ma minor to, to major, but it, it does exist. And I think we have to really address that. And one thing that's important here is that your book is, again, is for everyone, not just here, uh, trauma survivors, but it's anybody could could benefit from from these uh, uh, tips that you're giving, these methods and so on. And uh, well, yeah, so we want to overcome well, these challenges. Yeah. Sorry. Well, what you just described about birth trauma, I, mm -hmm. I don't think it's something that people recognize that we've all exactly. been through is we've all been through birth trauma. And for some of us, it's encoded in what we call implicit memory, which is pre-verbal. And we don't have language. We can't say, oh, I feel like the world is really unsafe or that bad things happen to me. But those messages can be encoded at even such a young age and even through ancestral trauma. So two of the chapters in the book are about ancestral and pre-verbal trauma because there's a lot of people who say, you know, I just don't feel comfortable or I just have this bad feeling. I feel like the shoe's going to drop. And they can't pinpoint where that feeling might have happened. And a lot of times it comes from intergenerational trauma or it comes from birth and we might not have a language for it. And this is something I did not know as a family doctor. I had to do a lot of research into it. But the more that I looked into it, the more I recognized this is why you can't think your way out of a trauma response especially if you don't have the language for it, if you don't have an incident that you can say, this is where it started. It's yeah. just, it's in me. Yeah. And once it's in you, there's still lots of ways to get it out, usually using the body or somatic work or metaphors. But a lot of people don't even realize it's in there. Yeah, yeah, but but again, when when we're stressed, what's the position we get into? Fetal position, and it kind of goes back to that. Or we're out of breath, we hold our breath because that's you know the moment we come to the world and the first breath, and and so all this is, as you're saying, kind of encoded, embedded within us. It's in in our unconscious, but I would say, and uh, once we bring it out, there's this sense of relief too, and it's like I I didn't know what was bugging me, but now I know, and now I can deal with it. I think that's hugely important important instead of ignoring it or trying to look over pretending everything is fine which is even worse I think we really need to to address that yeah absolutely um and I didn't really understand that as a family doctor I kept thinking well what's wrong with these people they're coming with these problems and they seem to have a new problem every week and it wasn't until I started studying trauma that I was like oh that's the root cause of all of this yes. and you know many of us don't know that there are solutions. Like once you've been diagnosed with complex trauma or PTSD, you can't take a pill. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, you arguably you can take a psychedelic medicine and it'll help, but um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different solutions and it took me years and years to start to realize what those solutions could look like. And within the book, I thought, well, there's a lot of these things that I've learned and I got certified in, but you could very easily teach this to, children at school or your own kids or exactly. you know like this stuff could be disseminated and we could all have this toolkit where we could check in with our nervous system see what's happening and manage it ourselves and that's my hope is that more people have that skill 
Yeah, I read this book by a neurologist and she she talks about psychosomatic disorders. And she says that actually a lot of the cases, maybe even majority of the cases that family physicians get to deal with are psychosomatic in nature. So and then instead of like, you know, pushing pills onto them, it's like they need something else. They need some sort of like toolkit to deal with. So and that would take away a lot of the, the patients. And then you can focus on the ones who who are suffering from from something that's more more physical or, or again, biological. And that, that's that to me, that was fascinating that it's like it is quite common, but we don't see it and we don't really address it the way we should. Well, and I. I'm of a different mindset. I believe that the biological and the psychological are so intimately connected that you can't ever separate the two out. That no matter what physical process you have, it's the signals of how you perceive it is happening through your nervous system. So any single, any symptom that a person has is perceived through the brain. That's the only connection that they have to those symptoms. And so our brains get involved in everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what I started to understand is you could come to me in renal failure or with heart pain or breathing problems. And the way that you perceive it is going to be absolutely individual. And based on the amount of trauma you've faced, you're going to experience those symptoms in totally different ways. Exactly. So yeah. I think of all of this as really, really intricately connected. And I would never really call something purely psychosomatic. Uh-huh. I would think wow, I'm curious as to what changed that signal pathway that's amplifying even normal signals. So if you are a person who has migraines or IBS, um, in a lot of traditional medical practices, they'll call that functional and they'll say, well, you know, there's something wrong with the way that you are interacting with your nervous system. And I'm like, yeah, that's the key. How do we change that signal pathway? Um, And I mean, obviously, the medical profession does a lot of gaslighting with stuff that we don't understand. So the more that we're learning about the microbiome and the way that gut bacteria interact with our body, um, I am so fascinated to see where that goes in the next 10 years. But the kinds of diseases that we didn't really have good explanations for, we're starting to look deeper. And with something like long COVID becoming so much more prominent, I think we're going to have to start looking at into a lot of diseases that we never did understand. And that mind-body connection is going to be a huge piece of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's great that, that that you're seeing it that way too, because that's something that's family physicians. There's like a bit of an, of an argument there and trying to say, okay, well, I, and I noticed, I, I realized that a lot of my issues were coming from stress and trauma. And so like high blood pressure and and, and even obesity and, uh, and all these things I treated that way. And so it surprises my family physician. It's like, you didn't take the medication I prescribed you and you're doing fine. How did you do it? What's your secret? And I think that's, that's what, that kind of awareness is growing among the, uh, the the medical doctors as well. And I just like commend you for that move of, of really uh, uh, embracing that. And uh, what what actually triggered that? You said, was it patients that you were dealing with? What, what started it off? If I really look at the catalyst for me, huh. um, it was being in the earthquakes in Nepal. So I was, I, I've been running an international nonprofit since 2012 and um so i was inadvertently in nepal during the earthquakes it wasn't like i was there to do humanitarian work i was already working with the medical school and i was just in my apartment in Patton. i think this was like the fifth year i had gone to nepal 
Um, so I had a really close relationship with this medical school and I happened to be caught in the earthquakes. So, um, and then four days of earthquakes, I think there was somewhere yeah, between 30 and 40 yeah. earthquakes before I was evacuated. So I think it started to help me understand how much of my trauma responses I'd been getting good at suppressing. I was still doing hospital-based medicine at that point, um, or I would ignore the fact that I had to eat or drink or go to a bathroom or sleep on the regular. Like this is just my daily life. And I just started to recognize you're suppressing a lot of things. Um, so that trauma question was peaked and I started doing some reading around it. And that's when I recognized how much of what I was seeing in clinical practice related to trauma and nobody had ever made that connection for me before. So um, this is something I'm hoping to disseminate to all you know, healthcare practitioners as well, because I think we miss it all the time. And we're also caught up in it ourselves. And when when people are facing healthcare workers that are burned out or cynical or just not good at their jobs, because that happens, we get mm -hmm. like that. That's our trauma being enacted on the world. And and we have to get better at, you know, managing our own selves and, and our own nervous systems before we can be safe environments for people. So um, this is a part of the conversation that I wanted to, you know, get into. Um, it's starting to happen in more and more pockets. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's like, it's not just the healing part. I mean, that's, that's important, but it's what we can gain from it. And I see it like as a great opportunity. I mean, it's, 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 it's horrible to say, but even that kind of suffering that you, uh, saw and and felt and recognized there uh it brought about your book and your involvement with this so it's like turning that into a positive i i just love that and i think people who have that have this opportunity and uh, also a choice to a certain extent of changing it into in, into something good and beneficial and that's what you talk about when you talk about post-traumatic growth and the yeah. interesting thing is also once you've gone through it, through the whole phases, uh, the trauma itself, you grew from it, you are actually in a better position than you were before you had the trauma in many cases. I see that, certainly. Yeah. I mean, there's two, there's two facets. One is that if we don't look at structures and systems, we can't necessarily stop the trauma from happening to people. So in communities that are racialized, in communities that are LGBTQT, there's constant trauma from society. And until we can stop the structural violence, it's hard for people to emerge into post-traumatic growth. So I just want to acknowledge that because it's a choice, but some people face a much harder time than others because of this, what the system is imposing on them, especially once you've had, you know, medical issues like complex chronic disease is ongoing trauma. Um, so yes, and I, I do believe that this is still possible for all people, but some people just have, you know, a harder uh, slope of the hill they're walking up to get there. And one of the metaphors, I, I like to use metaphor a lot because it's the language of our subconscious mind. Yeah. So yes. the metaphor I use in the book is resilience is when you're floating along and you undergo a challenge and it sinks you underwater and you pop up with a flotation device and you're managing to keep your head above water and resilience is getting back to baseline and post-traumatic growth is learning how to swim. And I feel like mm -hmm. once you've got new beliefs and new skills, mm -hmm. that's when the swimming comes in, when you believe that swimming is possible. And when somebody has been like, Hey, have you thought to kick your legs a bit? I wonder if that's going to help keep you up mm -hmm. a bit. 
Oh yeah, that works for me. And swimming is going to look different for every person. I mean, some of us are dog paddling, some of us are backstroke, mm-hmm. but we all need to figure out what that looks like for us. And um, that was really the impetus behind the book is to say, hey, what would it look like for you to practice swimming? And it's not something that's going to change overnight. You're just going to have this little switch that says, oh yeah, I can swim now. But it's about practicing. What does it feel like to believe that good things could happen to you? What would it feel like to believe that um, the world could be safe? And again, recognizing that's not true for all people and communities that are constantly marginalized, it's a lot more difficult. People facing domestic violence. There's a lot of things that you can't say, oh, I'm going to achieve post-traumatic growth because you're still really stuck in it. Um, But that's when the practice comes in is like, what is the moment? What is the micro moment where I can try to swim? And, and that that realization, that insight, or when it's like the gut feeling or intuition, and you you get the answer and you like like uh, use uh-huh. that. And I I love the serenity prayer and what you're talking about. That again, that comes to my mind. What we can change, what we cannot change, and knowing that difference. And so, but there is often more that we can do, and we just don't see it or realize or don't have the tools. Which is another thing we just mm. don't know and don't have the tools. And for me, it was it was that because I did not have the tools of how to lose weight and so on and and deal with these issues. And then I found them and uh, I applied them, and it worked for me. And again, that might be different for for other people. But what are some of the activities you talk about? There are forty activities in your book that you talk about. What would be a few? I and mean, we can't go through all of them uh, for time purposes. But what would be a few that you'd like to point out here? Well. I really did try to focus on practices that were based in the body that anybody could learn. So I have three different chapters on what we call somatic or bottom-up practices that are really easy just to read the chapter. I also have a video attached to each of those chapters where you can actually watch it um, on a, a QR code from the book. And those practices I'd never heard of as a physician, but now that I use them clinically through trauma work, they're just so amazing. One is called Havening. And it's creating calm brainwaves. So all it does is uses a really, really gentle brushing of the skin in places that are research proven to create calm brainwaves. And once you've done this really, really gentle brushing, your brain waves change. Your gamma waves are the agitated, restless waves that are related to stress, those calm right down. And the, the waves related to calmness, relaxation, those increase. So that's a really easy thing that we could be teaching everybody in workplaces and schools. Just what are the kinds of ways that you can calm your brain down? Um, uh, tapping is self acupressure. So this is, you know, Chinese technology that's been around for millennia and they've found a way to help you just take a volume dial to your emotional experiences. So you still have your emotions. You just don't have your emotions at an eight out of 10. You might have them at like a two or a four where it feels like they're just more tolerable to you. So that's another technique that I teach people how to do. And then the third one is tremoring. And it's the same as, you know, the way a dog or a horse would shake something off and just go about their day like nothing happened. Humans have that capacity. And I never would have believed it. Like when I went to the you training do? program. Uh, yeah. I didn't know because I love that. The shake, once I heard about that, it's like, I wish we had that. It seems like so simple. You just shake it off and done. You know. So, so yeah, how, what would that include? We do it. 
I didn't yeah, know and that. It's, it's a subconscious tremor. So you actually have to do, well, to start, you have to do a series of exercises that fatigue the lower body. And then when you lay down on a yoga mat or your carpet, um, your psoas muscle will start tremoring. And it's just like a dog. It's not something that they're planning to do and that they're yeah, thinking, yeah. okay, I'm going to shake all of these different muscle groups. It's actually something that is deep within. And once you allow it to happen, you kind of give your body permission to tremor. Um, it will tremor whatever it needs to let go of. And so I, the way I think of it is we have this fight or flight signal that's locked within our nervous system and locked within our tissues. And that tremor response allows us to release it. So I think of it yeah, as releasing yeah. of your sympathetic tone, mm -hmm. that tone that says you're going to have to run away from something and kind of keeps all of our muscles really tense and locked in. This tremor response helps us relax that. So those would be some of the body-based practices that mm -hmm. I think anyone can learn. And they're simple. They're simple to, to use, right? That's amazing. I mean, I think they, yeah. the, the, the shake I've been doing myself, I just didn't know it was that because I would I put myself, visualize myself in stressful situations and just let myself feel all of that. And I did, I did shake at times. Like I would feel uh, it like in, in a place just in my home, like not when I'm driving yeah. or going at work. But it's like, um, it really like releases it. And then when you face that situation, you're calm because you don't feel that previous stress that had been building up and a lot of the like unconscious feelings that are going on. And it's like, it's like very liberating, I, I found and uh, opened me up. So I did have that. I just didn't have the term for it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's called TRE or tension releasing exercise. Mm -hmm. um, I did include some cognitive um, or some thinking brain work in the book as well, but I didn't focus on it quite as much because to me, a lot of what happens when we've been through trauma gets locked in the body. So I really wanted to give people the those doorways. Um, but because some of those concepts that I had introduced on TikTok were so popular, I wanted to make sure they got in the book. So one that was really popular is one called Ifformations. And it's something different than affirmations where you just stick the words, what if in mm -hmm. front of the statement. So instead of saying good things happen to me, um, I, I deserve good things. Sometimes that affirmation can sound really hollow when you don't fully believe it. Yeah. And so just putting the words, what if, what if I deserve good things? What if good things happen to me? That just sounds like possibilities. Like and that. that is a softer approach. Yeah. So that was one of the concepts that I wanted uh -huh. to make sure got in the book. But basically anything that got really popular on TikTok, I wanted to make uh -huh. sure I put in here because clearly it resonates with people. <laughs> yeah, that's the issue I have with affirmations because it just seems like positive thinking, but the issue is the emotional. So the positive thinking is kind of trying to cover up the emotions and it's not dealing with it. But the what if kind of opens up the space, I think, where the two can connect. And uh, and CBT is something that uh, I appreciate because a lot of it is makes sense and it's good and it's, it's useful. But I would not, again, fully, fully embrace that because I think the issues are kind of on a deeper level that we need to deal with. But again, uh, useful as well. So it's not like shunning certain things or avoiding them. I think, again, in that toolkit, you need a bit of everything which uh, which you are including. Here. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times when you have foundation, <laughs> excuse me, when you have foundational beliefs or you have 
nervous system dysregulation when you're locked into either sympathetic or parasympathetic overwhelm, Mm -hmm. the body needs to feel safe first before you can use your thinking brain. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people are told, start talk therapy, start CBT, Mm -hmm. and they're just not ready for it. So large part is just saying like, this is what it takes to get ready. Um, there are branches of CBT that I really like. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy is like a newer version that's really focused on your values. Like, who do you want to be? What's important to you? And I love that because traditional CBT, mm-hmm. the premise is that there's something wrong with your thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. as a trauma therapist, I th- I feel it's the opposite. Yeah. I feel like yeah. like the question I ask people more often is, why does it make sense? Why does it make sense that you think this way? Why does it make sense that you act this way? Like, what about your past? What did, what do you know about your body and the way that the whole system works? Why does this make sense for you? And it's a really different question than saying, well, what's wrong with you? Which I think CBT kind of leans towards sometimes. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I love asking what's right with you. Why does it make sense that you've come to this point? And the more that we take that observer question and say, um, it makes sense because my body is trying to protect me in these ways. Yeah. It's so it just opens the door towards so much more self-compassion, which I think is really important on that journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, that's hugely important. And so, um, when you when you moved here from uh, from the, the the medical model and so on towards embracing all of this, I wonder, like, did, did you? I uh, probably did. Like, did you have resistance from from colleagues or people around you who who did not like that? And 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 that's fine, you know. But it does exist. Yeah. I would imagine it does exist. Yeah. Well, when I started doing trauma therapy, it was at a place that had a lot of trauma in the patients. And I thought they would be over the moon to have that resource. And the message I got was, well, we hired you as a family doctor. You can't be doing trauma work. And I was like, (laughs) are you sure? Because this is the root cause of a lot of what you're seeing. If I do trauma work for folks, a lot of their medical problems will improve, but they didn't believe that. So (laughs) that connection is hard to catch on in certain pockets of the medical community, but I do believe more and more of us are getting it. So, I mean, I think it's also the, the, the enhanced understanding of things like lifestyle medicine and integrated medicine. And we are looking for more holistic solutions where there isn't just a pill. Um, Like I, I don't want to be somebody who just has a pill for every problem. I want to say like, you know, what can we do with your microbiome and your diet? And what can we do with sleep, which is where your body's immune system works? So if you're not sleeping, I would expect your body to be falling apart. Let's just address that first before we deal with all of those systems. So I think a lot more of us are wanting to do root cause work. We just haven't had the tools ourselves, which is one of the reasons why I'm hoping that this is a conversation more and more healthcare workers can have. So I'm trying to do lots of talks for them just to say, Hey, (laughs) have you thought about this yet? So it's, it's coming, but paradigm changes take a long time. Like when I think about when the medical profession should have understood more about trauma, it was 1998. They had a big study in California showing that with every single traumatic event that happens in childhood, you exponentially increase your risks of almost anything in adulthood. I remember that study. Yeah. 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 It's called the ACEs study. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It should have changed everything in medical curriculum and it's just now starting to trickle in. So trauma informed medical curriculum is something that we're working on right now in Calgary. Like it's, 
it, it's not, we're, we're 10, 20 years behind some of the things that we know. Also, because we got locked into these like silos where like you're a heart doctor or you're a liver yes, doctor, yes. you don't recognize yeah. the interplay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of yeah, everything. Perfect. So that's why I love how you use the word holistic at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That's what was missing. Yeah, but it's again, the, the goal should be yeah, health for the patients, what's best, what's the best solution for the patients. And we, we shouldn't lose sight of that. And and there often we do, because then this is working for them. This is the best. It doesn't fit the model that you have preconceived. And it did it kind of logically might not make sense to you, but it's working and it's showing effects. And I, I would say explore that. Uh, one thing that helped me myself was when I found intermittent fasting. And it really helped me with various things, including uh, obesity. And so that is something. And when I when I suggested it to my family physicians, she said no, and uh, because I, I am suffering from diabetes, and I've heard like people who say, "Well, don't do it because of that." But I did it, and I've had the positive results because of it. So it's it's really like it's saying, "Okay, be safe, go ahead, try it out under supervision, of course." And but encourage that. Don't say no. Right. And uh, I, I think that kind of hesitancy of like not embracing it uh, is is is, a, is an issue here, is a problem. Well, and I think that we as practitioners, like professionals, we discount the lived experience and that expertise exactly. that the patient is bringing. Like yeah. you're yeah. an expert on your own body. Mm-hmm. So if you say like, I, I really want to try this out, this could work for me. Uh-huh. I mean, short of prescribing ivermectin to everybody because i think that's also a very slippery slope of expectations Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that people can try that are going to be safe and we shouldn't be so closed because if you're the expert on you and your body Mm -hmm. then you should have that right to be in partnership and collaboration Mm -hmm. and i think the medical model has been so top down where the physicians hold the expertise and what interests me so much more is well, I have this amount of expertise, but you have this amount because uh-huh. you understand your own body and your mind-body system in a way that I never could. Okay. So what if we look to the patients as the experts? And that's yeah. what I'm really interested in seeing how we could that's flip wonderful. it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do have the same in education too. I mean, that's shifting and changing, thank goodness, but it still exists to a certain extent where the, the, the students are the empty vessels that we need to fill with knowledge and information. But I, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that it's been changing, but uh, still, it's still not enough often. There's still that hesitancy of, of letting go certain like uh, uh, old fashioned notions that we, we hang on to, even though they're not serving us uh, well. And so I want to use that as a segue to have looking at workplace trauma because you've experienced it, I've experienced it various times and, and do continuously. How can we deal with that? Yeah, it's a good question, Arash. I actually just started a company this year, well, a company and a a nonprofit foundation asking that question. It's called Safer Spaces Training. And um, the idea is that the more that we can help people understand the the toxic stress that they, they hold and give them ways to process it, and then also understand how it shows up in interactions, mm-hmm. um, the, the better that we will all have a common language and common skill set. So that's, that was the purpose around it. I, I think, especially now, there's a lot of people who are locked in fight, flight, and freeze, and then that shows up at the workplace. So fight could look like people who are aggressive, irritable, jumpy. Uh, flight will look like people who are restless, and they're just moving from project to project, never finishing anything, um, you know, 
hard to show up to 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 events consistently because they're multitasking that restless movement energy and then freeze looks like not showing up at all they can't get out of bed they can't get off the couch and we keep blaming the people saying well what's wrong with these people they're showing up in these ways where we're not really looking at the systems that are creating the trauma that's causing those responses and that's what interests me is not just well what's happening at the individual but how is this system creating this problem and contributing to the problem and um i mean we we saw the great resignation which apparently is slowing down now but a lot of people just left their jobs and i was just thinking oh that's interesting is that the sympathetic flight response is this feels dangerous i'm getting yeah, out of here yeah, yeah um yeah i'm just really curious about how we can use this for post-traumatic growth so if there was a trauma to the work environment through pandemic and all of these changes that were necessary and now we're trying to figure out what it looks like do we really want to get to resilience which is the same as what it was pre-pandemic what would it look like for all of us to collectively swim in the workplace and, and get to post-traumatic growth and figure out systems that actually work better for people so what i'm interested in is when we come out from this like emergent cycle where things fall apart and then we put them back together again, mm -hmm. how can we make them better every time? And the workplace is one of those environments where we have that opportunity right now. Exactly. And and the, the holistic approach would help us there too. I, there's the mind-body approach, embodied like leadership and so on. And I think that's important because what we're doing is it's the top-down approach within us. It's the mind or thinking telling us this is how we should act, trying to control the body and the emotions. Whereas, no, I think it's again giving the emotions the space they need. And they have a lot of knowledge. The body knows so much that we don't actually fully realize. But being able yeah. to find that balance, I think would, would really help it, uh, especially at the workplace. And you get it where, where people who feel like uh, they have higher positions than they feel superior and they boss around others and so on. And that's not helping at all. That's not healthy and it's not helping anyone. Whereas like a more like team-based approach, very open, you listen to feel, you listen to the other person. You know, I think that's hugely important. And it's, it's slowly changing, but it's frustrating because it's often not fast enough. Yeah, especially since more of us have an expectation of things being different. Mm -hmm. So you brought up two really important things. One is getting to know yourself and listening to your own signals, because I think when we're stuck in situations that are really stressful, we learn to kind of suppress those signals, mm -hmm. much as I was yes. describing my life as a hospital doctor. But we all do that at work to some extent. Mm -hmm. What would it look like to really pay attention to our own signals? Again, that's in neurology, we call that interoception. So what would it look like to actually build your own interoceptive abilities again and listen to your own signals about safety? And then what would it look like to work at that higher level? So that's kind of micro. And then the macro is exactly. what would it look like to, to make sure that these toxic environments are not encouraged and that people aren't rewarded for those kinds of toxic behaviors that are so harmful to their employees? I mean, if we look at these massive companies and the way that they're structured and the way that the CEO is making like, you know, a hundred thousand times more money than yeah. the people in the warehouses, we have huge problems. Like inequity is trauma. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we start to recognize at a system level and we say, well, we have to dismantle inequity because that's actually causing these ecosystem problems and it's causing climate emergency. And if we don't dismantle inequity, this collective trauma is only going to get worse. So we can only do so much within our individual body. Mm -hmm. And I think you really highlighted that. 
like those two systems need to be worked at simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. So your book is uh, The Modern Trauma Toolkit, Nurture Your Post-Traumatic Growth with Personalized Solutions. We heard uh, uh, some of them here. They're amazing. I would highly recommend them. And so you are Dr. Christine Gibson. You are also known as TikTok Trauma Doc. I like that. Yeah. Trauma talk. Yeah. And you're a physician, a speaker, trauma clinician, and specialist. Thank you so much for being here on, on Rash's World and sharing your, your insights and wisdom and experience with us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Arash. You had some really insightful questions. I appreciated that. Great. Thank you.